Podcasting. The PSJs you hear on Miller and Condon and iHeartMedia Des Moines are presented in part by Nick Mick. We take care of our own. Now, here's Miller and Condon. Hour, Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO and 106.3 FM. Bottom of the hour, probably the 1135. Jeff Lance, uh, Communications uh, Director, Minor League Baseball, will join us. He was formerly, been a lot of time here in Des Moines with the Iowa Cubs and then the Baltimore Orioles uh, in media relations and now with the Minor League Baseball. So we'll pick his brain on what he thinks might happen uh, to the minor leagues this year. Buster Olney today at ESPN.com says he does not believe that there will be any Minor League Baseball in any form this season. Uh, but right now we've got Kim Reynolds. She is making her way to the podium. Is she not, Trent? She is. Uh, should be up there shortly. I See, is they're ready to cut in. Here's the governor of the state of Iowa, Kim Reynolds. Morning. As we head into the weekend, I want to provide a brief update on the current status of the state with COVID-19. Over the week, we have seen our positive case counts stabilize. Today, we are reporting that we have 374 new positive cases, and we have 3,888 negative cases for a daily positivity rate of 8.3%, 15% positivity rate. Uh, on the average of all all of the time, and we have 50% of Iowans who have recovered. Days to double continues to improve. Today it's 18 days, which speaks to the slowing of the spread of the virus. And 93,556 Iowans have now been tested for a per capita rate of one in every 34. Unfortunately, uh, 18 Iowans have lost their life to COVID-19. 16 of the 18 are among residents of our long-term care facilities. And as I indicated yesterday, we continue to make testing a priority at our long-term care uh, facilities for both the employees and the residents. And and actually, uh, 95% of our facilities have taken advantage uh, of using up testing um, their, their employees and residents so that we can identify positive cases early and do everything possible to prevent the virus from spreading inside the facilities. Hospitalization rates across the state continue to be stable, and the utilization of ICU beds and ventilators is also uh, decreasing. Finally, um, this weekend, we will be the first time that we won't be delivering PPEs to counties across the state. I'm pleased to report that the request for PPE has significant, have significantly decreased and that the state stockpile is in good shape. So we're starting to get a lot of the orders that we placed in, in March, and so our stockpile is um, in a good place right now. Every day, um, Iowans continue to make significant changes in their daily lives due to COVID-19, and high school graduation is another one of those big changes. Iowa's class of 2020 had big plans for their last semester of high school. Spring uh, spring sports season, going to prom, final performances in musicals and concerts, award ceremonies and graduations. But a worldwide pandemic changed all of that. Instead, they're at home, finishing final projects online, 
online, connecting with classmates virtually, and celebrating their accomplishments without pomp and circumstance that was planned for them. Many of the milestones that mark senior year won't be experienced by the class of 2020, at least not in the way that they expected. High schools and communities across the state are doing their part to make this time special. Of course, the most important milestone of all is graduation. It's kind of unthinkable, unthinkable uh, that the class of 2020 won't get to walk across the stage and receive their diplomas, throw their caps in the air, and celebrate with friends and families after the ceremony. While some schools are hopeful that graduation ceremonies might be possible later this summer, many others are getting creative and finding ways to host graduation ceremonies now in the era of social distancing. Lenmar High School in Marion will host graduation ceremonies over the course of four days this month, allowing 130 students per day to have their names announced, walk, ac walk across the stage, and receive their diploma. Students will rotate through in groups of five every 15 minutes from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. each day. Sioux City is going virtual and producing digital commencement exercises for each of its three high schools. The ceremonies will include the traditional speeches, music, and conferring of, the, of diplomas, with greater focus on photos and details about each graduate. The virtual ceremonies will be broadcast online and on local TV stations, and every student will get a digital copy, copy uh, with their diploma. Ogden High School invited each of their 58 graduates to dress in their caps and gowns and receive their diplomas with their parents. A compilation video will be, is being created for the entire class and will also be released online. Then on what would have been their graduation day, Ogden is hosting a congratulatory parade on Main Street, where the graduates will drive their cars past downtown businesses with windows adorned and posters and photos celebrating the entire class. Finally, the seniors at Louisa Muscatine High School are opting for a drive-in style graduation ceremony and are working on plans to make it a full-scale multimedia event. Regardless of how the class of 2020 chooses to celebrate graduation, what matters most is acknowledging all they've accomplished and anticipating that the best is yet to come. My favorite part of the graduation ceremonies are the speeches by the students who demonstrate such hope and promise for the future. Today, I've asked two outstanding Iowa seniors to join me and talk about what, they're ex what they've experienced in the last two months and what it's taught them. First, I will introduce both of them, and then I'll give you a chance to hear from each of them. Jada Wilson is a senior at Glenwood High School. She's a National Merit Finalist, Academic All-State, All-State Musician, member of the 2019 3A Girls Track State Championship team, and helped coach youth volleyball through the YMCA. Jack Dre is a senior at Dowling Catholic in West Des Moines. He is also a National Merit Finalist, Academic All-State, Iowa Governor's Scholar, graduate of the Youth Leadership um, Initiative of Greater Des Moines, and a three-year Boys State Tennis Qualifier. Jada and Jack, thank you for joining me today. Jada, this is probably not how you imagined the end of your senior year. Can you tell us what your experience has been like? Yeah. Um, would you like, do you want me to just read my speech now? Yep. Or? Yep. Okay. <laughs> so two months into quarantine, it's still surreal to me that we are experiencing a pandemic at what was supposed to be the peak of our high school careers. I guess it's fitting for our generation though. 
For seniors across the nation who were born during the tumultuous time of 9-11 and who were children during the recession of 2008, it only makes sense that we graduate into adulthood during a pandemic. Despite all of these hardships, we have finally reached May of 2020. I know that it's definitely not what any of us expected, and I wish that I had more words of comfort to offer, but I don't know what's going to happen next. I don't know when things will return to normal because nobody knows what normal is anymore. The most that I can offer to myself and to you all is the fact that every single person is experiencing the same feelings that we have right now. Every senior lost their spring season. Every athlete missed the last time they laced up their spikes or cleats, the last time they swung a golf club in their school uniform, or the last time they traveled to a tennis match with their, with their team. Every musician missed their last concert. Every individual speech member missed their last state contest. And everyone lost their senior nights for all of these activities. It doesn't change the fact that it's heartbreaking, but you're not alone in what you're feeling. Even our parents, grandparents, teachers, even politicians, the people we've relied on our entire lives for answers, don't know what's going to happen next, which is a big lesson I've learned. No one is 100% sure of what they're doing. When we were little, we thought that our parents knew anything and everything, but I've learned that's not quite true. I don't know about you, but when I was younger, I remember thinking that 16 seemed all grown up. Then when I finally turned 16, I realized that even though I could legally drive, I was definitely still a kid. When I was 16, the seniors seemed so prepared to graduate. That's when I thought 18 is old. That's when you become a real adult. Now that I'm 18 and we're all graduating, I'm like, is this really what those seniors felt like? Because if they did, they did a heck of a job hiding it. Part of me can't believe that we're all moving on and going to college, but at the same time, I'm more than ready, as I'm sure most of you are. Originally, I had committed to California Berkeley, but with the current situation, I think I'm going to go to Creighton University in Omaha to study political science. We'll see how long that lasts since I'm extremely indecisive, but right now I plan to attend law school after I graduate and hopefully become a politician in the future. Thanks. Thanks, Jada. I appreciate that. And Jack, what what has uh, this time been like for you and what has it taught you? I uh, just want to say uh, thank you, Governor Reynolds, for inviting me to share my thoughts today. I'm grateful for the opportunity to connect with the people of Iowa and the class of 2020 in this way during this time of physical separation. As we have all experienced, COVID-19 has not been subtle in the way it has changed life here in Iowa and around the world. My personal experience has been no different. One day, everything seemed normal. The next, my long-awaited spring break trip to Brazil was called off. This setback was quickly followed by the end of the physical school year and then the cancellation of prom and the state mock trial tournament. For me, though, worst of all was the loss of the tennis season I spent all year preparing for. Long story short, like all of my fellow seniors, the end of the senior year has been quite different than I imagined. As a result, it has been easy to fall victim to the feelings of sadness and loss, to dwell on the moments and memories that might have been, and to fear the uncertainty that lies ahead. Yet, this pandemic has taught me the importance of having a good mindset, staying positive, and recognizing my blessings. I've gotten to spend a lot more time with my family as my parents are working from home and my brother is back from college. I've learned to be thankful for the important things, such as my family's health and safety and the frontline workers who sacrificed so much to protect us. 
I'm thankful for all the teachers who selflessly put in extra hours to foster students' passions and learning in these crazy times, and who have somehow still managed to keep me up past midnight, writing papers and doing homework. I'm thankful for my friends and my community who have come together to fight this virus, a community that has been able to adapt in amazing ways and even create a semblance of normalcy, such as the drive-through graduation Dowling is putting on later today. So, instead of dwelling on what could have been, I'm choosing to focus on what can be and preparing myself for the future that lies ahead. I'm anxiously awaiting the next step of my education at the University of Notre Dame and preparing for the day we can all be together again to celebrate the accomplishments of so many seniors across Iowa and around the country. I know that no matter what the future brings, it's for the class of 2020. We share this journey, this united experience, and with it, the remarkable ability to grow, adapt, and support one another more deeply than ever before. Thank you. Stay safe. Oh, thank you, Jack. I'm just so impressed and inspired by each of you. Uh, you're well on your way to great things. And I hope that wherever your academic careers lead you uh, over the next few years, that you'll eventually find your way back home to Iowa to build your lives. So again, I just want to say congratulations um, on your graduation. Thank you for joining us today and speaking to seniors all across the state of Iowa. And we wish you the very best of things to come. So thanks, Jade and Jack, and good luck. Another time-honored gradu uh, graduation tradition is a keynote commencement address from someone who can inspire greatness in our graduates. Today I want to share just a brief uh, but powerful message for the class of 2020 from a native Iowan and American astronaut Peggy Whitson. Hi, I'm astronaut Peggy Whitson and I have just a few words of advice for the graduating high school seniors from Iowa. Take the challenge to live a little bit outside what's comfortable. You'll find that you're capable of so much more than you even recognize. I know I did. Good luck. So although the last couple of months have been unusual and challenging for us all, we haven't lost sight of the impact it's had on our Iowa, our Iowa senior class, bringing your high school experience to a very unique and abrupt ending. But Iowa's high school seniors won't be defined by what wasn't. I believe that you'll be recognized instead for your resilience in the face of adversity and your tenacity to navigate through even the most unlikely circumstances. And those qualities will get you far in life. For Iowa's 35,000 high school seniors, now is the time to look ahead. You've gained a lot of knowledge through your school years, but sometimes life is the best teacher of all. In the last two months, you've learned that things don't always go as planned. You've been disappointed, but you've gained perspective. You've learned patience and perseverance, and you understand now what's essential and how to go without what's not. My hope is that you've also clearly seen what matters most in your life, your health, your spirit, and the people you love. Life's biggest and best experiences await you. So take that next step set your sets on a new goal, help each other move forward, because while the, the world has changed, it will soon fall upon you to change the world. Congratulations and all the best for a bright and prosperous future. And with that, we'll open it up for questions. Um, Rod, Gazette, go ahead. 
Um, <clears throat> thank you, Governor. Um, first, can, can we get an update on the status of your modified quarantine? Yeah. And then maybe this is for Sarah. The, the CDC is alerting health officials to be on the lookout for a, a dangerous inflammatory syndrome in children that yeah. could be linked to coronavirus infection. I think they're calling it the pediatric multi-system inflammatory syndrome. Yeah. And it's shown up in at least 19 states. Have you received any reports of children in Iowa being affected by this syndrome? And if so, what steps are being taken to address it? I'll let Sarah answer the last question, and I don't believe we have, but I'll let her. I know the team is working on it and looking at it. Um, so I'm on day five of negative test. I continue to take my temperature in the morning throughout the day, uh, continue to practice social distancing and wearing a mask uh, while in the facility. Also, uh, not only working from the SEAC, but working from home. So we'll continue to be in a modified quarantine for 14 days, which will take me uh, through next Wednesday, I believe. So we continue. Uh, I've tested negative every day as I said continue to take my temperature morning and throughout the day and in the evening and then continue to wear a mask and social distance and I'll let you talk about that yeah thank you for the question Rod uh, we are not aware at this particular point in time of any um, cases of the inflammatory um, condition that you're speaking about in children we are paying close attention to the information that's coming out of the state of New York as well as from the CDC Dr. Padati routinely uh, has conversations with her colleagues at the CDC um, as well as other state epidemiologists around the state and so we're keeping a close eye on the situation and certainly as we learn more we'll be sure to share that Next question, Ryan, Associated Press. Thank you. Um, in, in making your decision on partially reopening the state, mm -hmm. are you looking at any models from the University of Iowa or other sources that forecast the number of deaths that may occur with or without specific mitigation strategies? in place and if so what are they telling you yeah well we're taking a look at a lot of different data and i want to thank the university of iowa and the uh, public health for their input um, into the process but you know we are able to right now because of test iowa because of the great work at the state hygienic lab and the department of public health we are really able to uh, look at data in real time and because of the increased testing capacity that we brought to the state of iowa our robust uh, case investigation we are able to do strategic testing in facilities and communities. We're able to identify very early on where we might see clusters of virus activity in a potential hotspot, which allows us uh, time to get in there and start to implement uh, mitigation efforts or to work with the community to let them know that this could be, that the virus could be increasing. So uh, it's been extremely helpful to have the real-time data that we have, to have uh, the website that we have that allows us to look at the data in different configurations. As I said in my opening statement, we're seeing uh, the positivity rates uh, go down, which is very good. We're seeing the hospitalization numbers continue to stabilize. We're seeing the days to double um, increase to, I think it's 18 days now. So we've seen some really good uh, results with uh, that as well. And so um, we're going to continue to look at the data. We're going to continue to uh, assess and we're going to continue to test and uh, hopefully we can not only protect the health of Iowans, but also the livelihood and the health of our economy as we move through and really work to contain and manage COVID-19 in the state of Iowa. We're going to Lauren, Channel 5. 
Good morning, Governor. Um, you said that you're getting tested every day. It is the is it the Iowa test, Iowa test that you're taking every day? And if it's not, what's the name of that company that's producing that yeah. test for you? And do you know the accuracy of it? Yeah, so it is with the Abbott machine. We are using the NP swab, which is the 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 better swab. So we are using that. Um, but in addition to that, so that is what I'm getting tested with every day. And I know there's been some um, information released recently through the FDA about the percentage of accuracy with the Abbott machines. But I'm also, in addition to that, you know, as, as well as getting tested, I still have, I'm exhibiting no symptoms. I continue to social distance. I continue to wear a mask when I'm not doing a press conference uh, and continue to work from home when I can. So uh, we're a little over one weekend to the first uh, incubation week, and then we got another week to go. And so hopefully uh, we'll continue to test negative and continue to feel good and, and uh, be past the two-week incubation period by next Wednesday. Ian, good morning, Register. Thank you, Governor. Yep. Uh, more restrictions on businesses are lifting today. Uh, if virus activity doesn't decrease and there would be a resurgence, like some experts are concerned about, yep. what would be your threshold for deciding we need to put restrictions back in place? And well, what would be the plan for handling yep. the so, so what we've watched all along, and again, as I've indicated, with the data that we are able to collect in real time and the extensive testing and case investigation that we're able to do right now, it really does allow us to look at the state um, holistically, to look at it from from a, a state perspective, county, community, we now have the capability with the information that we're getting actually to look at it from a zip code so we really can drill down and watch uh, the activity that's happening in the state. So again, that the goal was to make sure that we protected the health of Iowans, that we managed our health care resources so that we, you know, so to work to flatten the curve and not overwhelm um, our health care systems, hospitals. And so that's what we'll continue to watch to make sure that they have the capacity to not only treat individuals with uh, that have tested positive for COVID that might need hospitalization, but that they can also te um, take care of other Iowans that uh, would meet that need as well. And, you know, we have done that. We're able to demonstrate that on a daily basis. We've continued. Oh, in fact, yesterday, we also saw utilization of uh, vents and ICU beds go down so we can monitor that very carefully. And if we see a significant surge and we need to take additional steps, we'll do that. But, you know, the goal is to, again, make sure that Iowans are safe, make sure that they're practicing social distancing. We're still limiting uh, social gatherings to 10 or a little fewer. If you go out in public and you can't social distance, you should have, you know, a face covering with you so that you can put that on just, in, you know, in the, if you can't practice the six feet uh, separation. And again, with every one of the declarations, we have said that if you are an older adult, and you are an individual who has significant underlying conditions that you should still uh, remain home, limit your trips to essential trips when you go out in public. You should be conscientious of your surroundings and make sure that you have a face covering. So again, 80% of Iowans will have mild to no symptoms at all, and we're seeing that reflected in the testing with asymptomatic uh, individuals being tested uh, positive, but it's the 20%, the most vulnerable, and those with underlying conditions that we really need to focus on and need to continue to stay at home and be very conscientious of their um, when they're out in public. Monica, Channel 13. Thank you, Governor. Uh, Two-part question. The yep. first one is really a quick one. Uh, when you say one in 34 Iowans have been yep. tested, 
Does that account for people who were tested more than once? And my second question is, we've been talking with a lot of restaurant owners who have questions about uh, law enforcement and how much they're monitoring, uh, that they're adhering to the guidelines and rules. Is there a timetable for how long law enforcement will be monitoring these restaurants or are you offering additional guidance on that? Yeah. So um, the one in 34, they have been, uh, they're deduplicated. So those are actual individuals that have been tested. They've removed the, uh, if anybody that's been tested twice. So that's not included in that number. Um, so really with the restaurants, you know, that's, that'll be monitored through the regulatory through the Department of Inspection and Appeal, Appeals like they always have. But even with law enforcement, we have the approach that they've taken is to educate, make sure that they understand what the parameters are and they're not in there to try to write them a ticket or to um, really, you know, they're just uh, to educate and help remind them what uh, they're supposed to be doing. And then I would just refer to, you know, that the Restaurant Association has put together phenomenal guidance for uh, their members as well as the Department of Public Health has guidance on coronavirus.iowa.org. Um, gov, gov, I keep saying org. I, I'm going to get that, I promise. Before we're done with these, I'm going to get that done. Um, so there's another op opportunity for you to take a look at the guidance if they have any questions, and then they're welcome to uh, follow up with 211 or with our office if they have additional questions. Chris, Casey's yeah. Hi, good morning, Governor. Uh, right now there's a pretty big outbreak at Polk County Jail. Uh, a couple of weeks back, there had been talk from first responder unions about, you know, if, God forbid, there were police, firefighter, whatever, who were to get this and die, they wanted to be treated as a line of duty disease. Uh, where is the state on doing that? Is that something you would support? So I don't know if you're referring to, the, well, first of all, I want to just, for our first responders, I want to just thank them and, ha and let them know how grateful we are for what they do day in and day out to stand on the front line uh, to uh, to serve Iowans and to protect Iowans. So I believe this is a request that's been made to our legal counsel, and they have spent a great deal of time uh, looking into it. It's a complicated legal issue. I've tried to be very restrained in my approach in um, suspending statute. So there has been a couple of times where we've act where I have done that, but I've tried to be very restrained in my approach in doing that. And so I think with the uh, with this in particular, that that is something that we should that should be addressed uh, by the state legislature. They will be coming back at June second, and so we'll have an opportunity if they decide to address that issue then. Next question, Eric Waverly News. <laughs> Hi, Governor. Uh, just wanted, first of all, before I ask my question, I want to commend those two uh, young people for uh, for giving their uh, uh, their speeches today. But now uh, to my questions, I got two parter. First of all, about testing here in Iowa. Yep. Uh, you you said that with the verification, you can uh, have do about three thousand tests a day. But when would it be possible that you could do more random testing? Uh, and then also, uh, President Trump had said yesterday they considers testing to be overrated. What are your feelings about that? Well, we're, well, first of all, we are going to continue to test, um, and I think that that's important. It's been important for us to do for manufacturing, for our processing plants, for our long-term care facilities. Uh, we've really led with doing the surveillance testing that we've made available. Uh, we're now talking to other businesses and chambers and first responders, essential workforce, uh, to make sure that we can provide them the testing so that we know if they are positive, then we can get them isolated, get them on a path to recovery. 
identify those that are negative so that they have some confidence and, and, and uh, comfort in going back into work and working in a safe environment. I believe, and I think, you know, they have said uh, from the administration, and you'll hear this from governors all across the country, that the ability to test, especially with the uh, robust case investigation that we've been able to put in place, uh, that really is helpful in allowing us to start to uh, open up uh, the economy and to make sure that we're doing it in a responsible and safe manner. It also allows us, um, like the strategic proactive testing that we're doing in some of these facilities, uh, in some of these communities, it allows us to see quickly if we're indicate we're seeing some kind of a hot spot uh, or a potential um, cluster of virus activity that we can get in front of. And the other piece of this that's really helpful, and it's how we'll continue to manage this moving forward. I don't know if a lot of states are doing this. Is the assessment that Iowa uh, that Test Iowa provides, and so by Iowans going on and taking the assessment, that's another way that we can identify early on where there's a potential cluster or hot spot of uh, or increased virus activity. So that's a really significant piece of what we're able to provide Iowans as we you know move through the um, COVID-19 pandemic, and we make sure that we're protecting Iowans while you know opening up in a safe and a responsible manner. All right, that was uh, Governor Kim Reynolds, her daily press conference. Uh, KXNO and iHeart want to help you with your bills. Text the keyword AID to 200-200. Right now, your chance to win $1,000. AID to 200-200. You'll get a confirmation text and info. Standard data and message rates apply in this nationwide contest. All right, Jeff Lance going to join the program next. Minor League Baseball. He is the Director of Communications for all of Minor League Baseball. He will join us when we come back here as we take you until noon on Des Moines Sports Station 1460 KXNO and 106. Ken Miller, Trent Condon, Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO. And now on 106.3 FM. I'm Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, 106.3 FM, as we take you up towards noon. Well, as we uh, talked about early in the program, Jeff Lance is going to join us. Buster Olney today at ESPN.com. He thinks it's a long shot that there will be minor league baseball in any form this year. Jeff is the senior communications director with minor league baseball. He spent over 10 years with the Iowa Cubs before parlaying that uh, into a significant term with the Baltimore Ravens. And now the senior director of uh, Ravens, Orioles, and now the senior director uh, of minor league baseball. Jeff Trent Ken, good to talk to you, Jeff Lance. How you been? Good. You? I, I wish I was with the Ravens. They won a Super Bowl while I was in Baltimore. <laughs> yes, indeed, they did. I uh, can't say the same for your Orioles as far as success. But, you know, I, I uh, yeah. misspoke early in, the, uh, early in the show when I was previewing you coming on. I knew you are a Hawkeye fan. I just assumed you went to, mm-hmm. you went to Iowa State. I did, yeah. So when you, were yeah. In, when you were in Ames, did you put your Hawkeye fandom aside and root for the Cyclones, or was that just uh, a bridge too far? Well, you know, I uh, my first year in Ames, I would go back to Iowa City on the weekends for Iowa football games. And if Iowa State was at home while Iowa was on the road, I'd usually stay and go to the game in Ames. But, uh, you know, I mixed and matched a little bit. And uh, I grew up in Iowa City, so, I, you know, my dad worked in the athletic department at Iowa, so I, I uh, grew up a Hawkeye, so it was hard to, uh, you know, hard to shake that. I get it. 
I get it. Uh, well, Jeff, let's uh, let's get to the here and now. And you've had a hell of a career. You really have all those years with uh, with uh, Burnaby and Company down at uh, yeah. Principal Park, and then to the Orioles for a long time, and and now in your role as the senior communications director for minor league baseball. So what? Um, I mean, we don't know, I don't think, at this point. I don't think anybody does as far as when Major League Baseball is going to get back. But Buster Olney today kind of sounded an alarm, Jeff, I thought anyways, as far as his take that he doesn't foresee minor league baseball. I know he's not the be-all, end-all, but he's a pretty connected guy in baseball. What do you think, Jeff? What are you guys, what are you guys preparing for? Well, you know, we're, we're preparing for just about everything, really, Uh you know, like Buster said, it, it's going to be tough. It's, uh, you know, the way our business model works, it's, uh, you know, we have basically uh, about 150 days to uh, jam a minor league season into five months. And, and every day that goes by that we don't play, it makes it harder and harder for our teams. You know, we are full season teams like Sam, used, like Sam always says, you know, we, they have 70 days a year to make as much money as they can. And, yep. and at this point right now, you know we're a month and a half in almost, and and uh, nobody's played a home game, so everybody's really having to tighten the belts, and and unfortunately some of the teams are having to furlough people and lay people off, and and really you know minor league baseball teams are they're a small business just like any small business in your neighborhood really, um, you know very seasonal uh, business and. If we don't have the gates open and, and butts in the seats and beers and hot dogs in the hands, you know, it's really hard uh, for our teams to, you know, to make any money. Is there any scenario at all where they would have a season, any kind of season, with no fans in the stands? Or is that just a complete non-starter, the difference between, of course, Major League Sports and their television contracts? Any possible yeah. way they could do it without people coming into the stadiums? I don't think so. Uh you know, Major League Baseball, we've talked to them about that, and they said they do not expect us to play with no fans in the seats. Uh, you know, it's just, it would be a, a, just a nonstop expense for our teams and, and with no revenue, and it's just, you know, they're, they're going to have a hard enough time. You know, this is going to affect our teams for two or three years down the road, you know, when it comes to the make goods on season tickets, advertising, uh, suite rentals, all those kind of mm-hmm. things. You know, you, you hope that most of those people will want to come back next year when we're playing ball if, if we don't play this year. But, uh, you know, this this is going to have an impact on, on our business for years to come. Uh, Jeff Lance uh, joins the program. Jeff, you know what it's like trying to get people down to Principal Park. Look, it's, it's great during the summer, but once school goes back in September and, and football's back, it, it's a tough sell. Is there speculation yep. that, you know, if minor league baseball does get back, that maybe the season bleeds into September, not just the playoffs, but the season, just to get these, uh, these young players some at-bats or to build up some innings on some young arms? Is September, October out of the equation? I don't think it's been ruled out at this point. Uh, I personally would love to see it. I think, you know, most of our markets uh, could play through, you know, deep into October if we really needed to. Um, you know, I mean, you look at Des Moines, the weather in, in October is probably a little bit better than it is in April most years. So it's true. Um, you know, the, the, any, any attendance you can get, you know, obviously Friday is high school football, Saturday is, you know, Iowa, Iowa State, UNI football, and, and Sunday is take your pick in the NFL. But, you know, Monday through Thursday, you know, if our teams can draw 
you know, a couple thousand in Cedar Rapids and, and three or four thousand in Des Moines, you know, I think that those teams would rather have a couple thousand during the week in September and October than a zero that they're getting for everything so far. So, um, you know, I, I don't think it's out of the question. It's just a matter of a lot of it has to do with Major League Baseball and what they decide. Uh, you know, I, I think player development is obviously very important to them, but, you know, player health is also, sure. you know, paramount here. So uh, until there's some kind of testing that can be done easily, um, you know, it's, it's going to be hard. I, I, I don't know what they're going to do, but, um, you know, I, I do think that we could play later into the fall if we need to and, um, you know, hopefully make up a few of those dates and give these teams a chance to make some money back and, and uh, you know, give, give their partners and, and season ticket holders some value for this year. Jeff, you have all this going on with COVID-19, the uh, resumption of play whenever that happens, and also in the minor leagues, what happened this winter and the talk and that has continued down the path of cutting from 160 affiliates down to 120 in the next year. What is the latest on that front? What can you tell us as it looks like teams and even teams here in the state of Iowa may be going away? Yeah, you know, they're still negotiating. Uh, the back and forth and the dialogue is, has been more productive in the last few months than it had been maybe at the end of last year and the start of this year was uh, got kind of contentious there for a while. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think both sides, uh, you know, are looking for uh, a solution that works that's beneficial for both sides. And, you know, hopefully uh, we can save as many of the 160 teams as possible. Uh, they, they've certainly outlined uh, what they'd like to see happen and, you know, obviously, we're trying to find ways where we can save baseball in a lot of these cities, and and we'll see how it shakes out. Um, you know, they they've got a lot of things that they're looking for, whether it's facility standards or realigned travel, things of that nature, and and obviously a lot of it comes down to money. So um, we'll we'll see how it shakes out. The, the two sides are still talking, but um, you know, obviously this. Uh, Coronavirus has, has kind of put the the PBA negotiation on the back burner mm-hmm. for a little bit, and you know their major league baseball side is obviously trying to focus on getting their season started, and and whether it's testing and scheduling and where they're going to play, they've they've got a lot of a lot of irons on in the fire on their end. So um, you know we we still got a few months before the uh, existing agreement expires. So. There's still some time, but you know, hopefully uh, we can get something done sooner rather than later. Uh, Jeff Lance is our guest, Senior Director of Communications, Minor League Baseball. Yeah, trying to Clinton, mm-hmm. Burlington, uh, a, a couple of them. Jeff, so let's um, try and speculate a little bit here. So, uh, minor leagues, so the major leagues get the green light. They're going to play on July the 4th. Uh, they're going to get back to their second spring training, we'll say June the 1st. Would they bring back the minor leaguers on June the 1st? Or would they have to make that decision? You know, they're, they're going to get here June the 15th. I mean, it's going to be pretty telling, right, if there's if they don't have a minor league plan to get their guys back with their teams right off the bat. That pretty well spells the end. Does, do you see it that way? Uh, it'll be – I mean, I think our guys would definitely start after the major league spring training. You know, this year's spring training, I think most of the major league guys reported – uh, around February 10th or so, and then they began the games on the 15th or, or 25th or 26th, I think. And the minor league players didn't report until the first week of March. So 
typically there's two or three weeks that go by uh, before minor league players even report spring training. So, um, you know, our season started, I think it was almost two weeks after theirs this year, uh, or was scheduled to anyways. But, um, you know, I, I think once they, uh, you know, get, get things rolling with major league spring training and, and see how that's going and, you know, they can bring the minor league guys in down the road. Uh, you know, another thing to consider obviously is, you know, if they're going to play all these games in Florida and Arizona, eventually, if they decide to do that instead of, uh, you know, playing in each market for each uh, team, you know, the minor leagues are a little bit different in that, you know, I think the mayor or the governor of Oregon has already said no, no sports or events through September. And, and uh, I think governor of California has said something similar. You yeah. know, we, we have teams in all these different States that are all, you know, there's not just one set of guidelines out there for everybody to follow. It's these governors are, are setting their own, uh, policies and rules, I guess you could say. And we're going to have to negotiate around all that too. Uh, not just testing and all those things. It's, you know, we're following the CDC guidelines and everything that they're recommending, and but you know, we also have to adhere to the policies that uh, the governors and and all the elected officials in each city, um, you know, are, are going with. Uh, last thing for me, Jeff, uh, you you probably heard that uh, you know the expanded roster will be the roster will be thirty guys, and there'll be a ten to twenty man taxi squad with each of the major league teams. I would assume that those would be AAA players. Um, maybe non-roster invitees would get to stick around. I don't know. Well, there is no rule. Probably has never done this before. But when would you see if there if there is twenty you know AAA players, the taxi squad, the AAA teams essentially in Chicago? We use the Cubs. Uh, would that mean that the likelihood you know the Tennessee guys get to Des Moines uh, that they get to jump to Des Moines to play their minor league ball if there is minor league ball this year? Yeah, I would imagine it would probably work out some similar scenario to that you know maybe uh if, if the team if the cubs say had 55 guys in spring training you know in a normal year they would probably send uh you know when they cut the rosters down they got to cut 20 guys obviously so they'd probably send 10 12 of those guys to iowa but then they will release you know five or six maybe seven of those guys and then right. a couple of them would go to double a but you know maybe now instead of releasing those guys that were the last three or four guys cut on your team. Now those guys are on your taxi squad and, and it just opens up a few more jobs uh, for the lower levels of the minor leagues because guys that aren't, you know, those guys are not being released. They're being retained. And, um, you know, I think you'll, if, if that's the way it works out, you know, that that's great for the players. That It's just more guys making a little more money. Uh, and, and the guys that are moving up a level, they'll make a little more money as well. So, um but yeah, I think that's a smart way to do it. You know, have more people available. It's less travel from city to city for players moving up and down all the time. It's you keep everybody quarantined together. I mean, it, it just seems like probably the best the best solution in a, a situation that's far from ideal. Indeed, Jeff Lance. Good to ke- uh, reconnect with you, Jeff. I appreciate you coming on uh, and sharing your knowledge no with our audience. Good to talk to you. Anytime. Happy to join you guys. Yeah, take care. Good to talk to you, Jeff Lance. Uh, Cyclone grad, Iowa City native, and now Senior Director of Communications for Minor League Baseball as we uh, 
react, I guess, to Buster Olney's piece at ESPN.com today that he does not think there's any way in hell. Minor, he didn't say it like that. Right. Uh, that minor league <laughs> baseball is going to, uh, going to happen this year. You know, Jeff's right, too, right? I mean, because most of these... My, uh, these minor league teams have already taken their sponsorship dollars. Mm-hmm. They probably sold some tickets. They've got some group events that are already on the on the plans. You got to make all of these good, you know. And that's next year, so you don't get to capitalize this year. And next year, you're paying the folks back, working in the red for quite a long time. I never even thought about that part of it. Boy, oh boy! It, good news for us on the very local front. The I Cubs are going to be fine. I they have. They're so interwoven into our community. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it sucks. And there's going to be people maybe that lose their job or at the very least are furloughed and things like that that could come out. But when you look at the future, it's not just the ones that you talked about, you know, Clinton possibly being cut and those kind of teams. But there are other organizations, minor league teams, that might not be able to come back from right. this, that can't handle. That maybe weren't on the original list of teams right. to be contracted. And and the changes that are going to happen inside of those and, and the different cities that are involved the here. The communities, Trent, it's those small towns, yes. right? Uh, Burlington and Clinton, right. two, two, two of them. Uh, our restaurant radio piece yesterday, Stu's Barbecue mm-hmm. behind home plate at Principal Park, you know, for 20-something years in the concession stand that they've had uh, there. So... Um, I've sleepless nights, I'm assuming. Oh, no doubt. In some minor league teams. All right, let's recap our restaurant radio segment, Trent. We're going to cut this back to once a week going forward. Uh, just the demand is no longer there. The uh, restaurants, a lot of them are reopening here as of today in some capacity. Mm-hmm. Not all of them, certainly by any means. Uh, and if the demand presents itself... And if sports aren't back on the landscape, we'd be happy to put Tuesdays back into the rotation. But uh, earlier this week, Trent, we uh, we started things off with our friends at Friedrich's Coffee Roasters, family owned. They're all over Des Moines. Uh, it was good to talk to uh, to Gary at Friedrich's. Yeah, I really enjoyed our conversation with Gary. Really nice guy and uh, excited. I know he is for getting things back started. Then we went to the Grumpy Goat. That's one of uh, a place you might find me a time or two uh, throughout the days. A couple of locations in West Des Moines. The one uh, just uh, close to us here over in downtown and of course up in Ankeny now thanks to Nick for joining us a big Packer fan and he was not happy about his Packers draft no he wasn't as you can say that for most Packer fans yes. hungry boys Lisa was part of it great sandwiches uh, the website if that doesn't get your mouth watering I, mm-hmm. I, I believe it will uh, and then your friends at Bennigan's how about Bennigan's story they spent all this money on all this they redid the whole place they're open for eight days and boom right back the other way and uh you know they've done a little bit with carry out but still working their way through that figuring out what they're going to do connected to the hotel too Mm -hmm. they're not doing breakfast right now but that's something that's going to come back and we're learning more and more about these restaurants trying to figure out on the fly what they're going to do i talked to somebody the other day they didn't have enough food order to actually open up the way because it's been limited what they had so they can't open up this weekend because they don't have food, and the food's not going to get there until next week, at least at the capacity of having people even at 50% inside the building. Uh, Bobby from the Latin King, Tercy's Latin King, an east side uh, uh, institution, quite mm-hmm. frankly. You know, we had Bobby on. They were preparing to serve a 1,000 meals. What was the corporation that made that possible? I want to get it right. starts with an E. I should know this, Trent Condon, and I don't. Uh, but they made it possible for uh, so many people to eat 
for uh, Elder Corporation. Elder Corporation. But, Bobby, well, the reason I bring it up, we had Latin King on, and they were preparing a 1,000 meals to be given away. Elder Corporation with a terrific gesture. They've done that to a number of restaurants uh, throughout Central Iowa. When, uh, when Bobby was on the phone with us, he was getting those 1,000 meals ready to be given away thanks to Elder Corporation. Elder Corporation, tip of the cap to you and Bobby at Latin King. Then we go to our conversation yesterday. You mentioned stews that you can find at Wells Fargo Arena and Principal Park. Their location right now over at Merle Hayes, so stop on out there. Barbecue, both you and I, big barbecue fans. Indeed we are. Alborado's a Mexican restaurant. They are open late. That, that's your stop. 3 and 4 a.m. 3 and 4 a.m. Not anymore. No, no it be, used to be. I'd be doing it for a right. Jack gets up for a snack, and Dad says, I, I could get a snack, too. Called up Elder Bardot and said, uh, and get some Mexican food there. How about McAllister, McAllister's Deli? A couple locations, one up on Merle Hay and Douglas, where you can find them also in West Des Moines. Good lunch spot. You're a big sandwich guy, Ken. Yes, I am. Put that on your list. I will, Trent Condon. Whiskey River has locations in Ames and in Ankeny. Founders Pub and Bond Durant. They're uh, open, obviously, in Ames and have been for some time. And Amy says that things uh, have been going good uh, in the at the location in uh, Ames, Ankeny, and Founders Pub in Bond Durant. All right. Bobby Hansen's going to join Trent and I at 10.30 on Monday morning. Uh, we're going to recap the, well, we won't go episode by episode, but we'll recap the last dance it ends on sunday night bobby hansen is going to join us and we look forward to that we've got golf on sunday yes we do uh, can't bet on it but i'll be watching yeah i can't bet on it here so it's rory and dustin versus a couple of oklahoma state cowboys Ah. ricky fowler and i don't know the last dude matthew wolf yeah an up-and-comer they say i'll be watching him well i'll be watching too watch the last dance we'll talk to bobby hansen about it murph and andy at two fanatics at four monday rush morning rush oh tomorrow saturday morning pregame see ya